Welcome to episode four of The Successory Show. I am your host, Kara Jaffe, joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Riley Presnell. And today we have two things to discuss. The first is flouching and ouching the hill of vilification, <laughs> which I've practiced 100 times to get it correct and I've probably butchered it, which basically means making a mountain out of a molehill, which we'll go over. And then we have some Q&A. We post some questions to our Instagram audience to see what we wanted to talk about or wanted us to discuss in further detail because we want to keep it as interactive as possible. So first we will get to flouching and ouching the hill of vilification. <laughs> And then we will get to those questions. <laughs> she made so, me say it. My favorite, my favorite part of this is that I like really wanted this to be the topic and like what it's about is actually like really important. But my favorite part of this is that we alternate like who intros the show each episode. And like when we were picking the topic for this week, I was like, oh, he's going to have to say this because it's his it. turn <laughs> to, to announce the show. So yeah, uh, flouching, ouching the hill of pillification. So if you wait, look, wait, 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 one more time. Flouchy, nouchy, nihilification. She doesn't have to rehearse that. I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> so if you look this up in the dictionary, it's actually considered. It's actually not considered. It is the longest word in the English language. I'm fairly certain about that. It's also if, the hardest word in the English language. <laughs> <laughs> Opinion, my only. The only not way factual. that the only way that it could be harder is if they threw in like an X in there somewhere, you know, right. where you like are like flouching out in the hill of pillification. I find if you use a little Cialis, it gets harder. <laughs> Maybe the words should try. We're just struggling. <laughs> so, um, if you look this word up in the dictionary, it actually means to deem something as worthless or to like devalue it. And the little bit of backstory behind this word is that my fourth grade teacher was probably the coolest teacher that I've ever had. Uh, her name was Mrs. Davidson. I remember she drove one of those like two-seater BMWs. Uh, oh, she's so cool. She like well back then, you know, when I'm in like fourth grade, it's super cool. But she like she's a hero. She uh, it was like convertible and everything too, and she was just so weird and like oh the. Uh... The 325i series. Yeah. So, uh, but she taught us a lot about like random things. Like she, she, I feel like she probably didn't teach us the curriculum she was supposed to. um, And she kind of just taught us whatever she felt like. Like I learned about uh, a lot of art from her. So like pointillism, um, which is like making art out of just dots. What was she, a thesaurus teacher? (laughs) Yes. That's another one I probably can't say. What was that? Pointillism. Pointillism. All right. I don't even know what that is. So it's like, it's art that's made up entirely of dots. Okay. She was a hippie. (laughs) She she was. She was the one who would play looking out my back door a million times uh, in a, in like our classroom while we were like painting or whatever. But she taught us this word in fourth grade um, because she liked basically the definition of it in comparison to like the actual word itself. So the definition is to deem something as worthless, which is funny because like you're devaluing something, making it smaller, like less important, but the word is so massively long that she thought it was very ironic that it meant to be worthless. So she was like, you're essentially making a mountain out of a molehill with this word. So basically how we are tying this into a value topic is that majority of people do make a mountain out of a molehill or people are generally always open to problems and not solutions. You know, if you give some, if someone has a problem and you give them a solution and they are so closed off to that solution, they just find more problems with the solution that you're giving them. Insert. Yeah, that's not going to work. 
That's, that's basically the response you get. Like someone's so focused on the problem yeah. and you give them a solution, it doesn't matter what it is, mm-hmm. that's not gonna work. Nah, that's not gonna work. Nah, I tried it before, it's not gonna work. And because they're just focused or on I can't. the problem. Or I can't. Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. is another one. Um, but, you know, like people want it. It's like a, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for being miserable, basically, because if you're so fixated on the negative aspect of things and not being able to find a solution to a problem, you will continuously make yourself more problems just by being closed off to solutions. And, you know, like it is helpful to ask other people in your life that you trust for solutions to problems. And, you know, like this is how we filter our problems through people that are uh, we find important, you know, we value their opinion and their advice. But if as soon as someone you trust gives you a very logical solution, they're like, well, why don't you try this? You're like, no, I don't, I don't want to, because that requires work or that requires you not having something to bitch about every single day. And I do think that that's something that people really enjoy is they Living enjoy. In yeah, Living in misery. Commiserate. So yes. You just took the word out of my mouth. So they can commiserate together. It gives them a reason to reach out to somebody else and talk to people and, and uh the what was me person. Yes. Everybody has that what was me, like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, like, hey guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are uh, those are energy leeches for mm-hmm. sure. Um, you know, like if I have a problem and someone gives me a solution that it seems so easy that I didn't think of it, most of the time I'm like, damn, I wish I would have thought of that because that's so simple. But you generally are too close to a scenario to see the solution, especially when it's something that's right in front of your face. So um, we all need to practice a little bit of flouching, nouching, and hillipilification when it comes to our problems. Such a show off. (laughs) Flouching, nouching, and hillipilification. Did I get it? Yeah, you got it. All right. I'm reading it. We've been talking about this word for like a week and Trevor's like, I don't know how to say it. And he throws in like random letters. Like he'll be like, flouchy, nouchy, villa, pilla, fill, villa, pilla, 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 This is just a word I cannot say. <laughs> so, I mean, do you find that you specifically see this? And like, I know a lot of people reach out to you for All mentorship and stuff. All the time. This is probably the, the most common thing we occur through any problem in powerlifting is that it's not really a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just a small either setback or someone's looking for a solution. Like, you know, just giving a few examples in any given week, I have a lifter whose gym is going to be closed for renovations or their gym is closed on a Saturday for a seminar. And they're like, what am I going to do? I'm going to miss Saturday's workout. Like, that's not the end of the world. You're not in meat peak or even that close to meat. You can go to a commercial gym and drop in for a day. Like you can get your movements in, but people will take the smallest problem. Somebody was using the SSB today and I don't know what the sub for it. It's like, you sub high bar or, you know. You ask a question, you know, yeah, you know or. You find a solution because it's not really a problem unless yeah. you're making it a problem. And we tend to be so meticulous in everything we do that if something has to change or do something or it's mm-hmm. a difference in your routine, you make the biggest mountain out of that small little molehill, which weighs you down. And I read a really cool quote this morning while well, I was pooping. That's one of the most of my reading, by the way. <laughs> We're getting real intimate in this podcast. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so but also it's when I tend to respond to a lot of text messages. So if you actually text me instead of like Instagram DM me, just know I'm responding when I poop. So Jordan Jarrell, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> he does the same thing, by the way. But... <laughs> But um, if you want to fly, you've got to drop the shit that weighs you down. And I wish I could remember who the quote was from. It was just in in this book I was reading called Alchemy. But that's really so true. If you want to fly, you've got to drop the shit that weighs you down. And that's what people do is they're focused so much on what's weighing them down instead of focusing on a solution. And they're making that mountain out of a mole or flouchy, nouchy, nihilo pillification. Eh? (laughs) (laughs) I can say at full speed now. My speed's twice the speed. But that's really just a big thing. It's like, you know, sometimes we're, we're dealing with clients like in, in real, it happened to me online in real time and they have like one little technical flaw 
and they're like, oh my God, this, this reoccurring problem dropped back up. And you make one suggestion and it fixes it and the problem's gone. It was literally just one cue. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes it's one day where you're going to a different gym. Or, or sometimes it's, believe it or not, skipping your training session because you're burnt out and overtraining. Yeah. And you're like, well, well I'm going to go backwards. Like, you're already backwards because you're tired. You're going to go more backwards if you try to, yeah. like, push yourself forward when you're feeling shitty. Also, to your point of, like, I, I get this one a lot with, you know, because I program more conjugate and more ver- uh, specialty bars. Is someone will say, well, someone was someone in the gym was using the SSB, like mm-hmm. you said earlier. Why don't you ask to work in with that person? And oh. then you've also like created a connection community? Yeah. And community <laughs> in the gym, you know, which is what you want. Like you want you you're all there in the gym powerlifting in a very niche sport where there's not a lot of people. Why would you not want to have more people around you doing the same thing that you're doing? So if your excuse is that you didn't do an exercise because you didn't have the bar available, but you didn't ask to work in with that person, that's probably like a null and void excuse. To we me. have, we went on a road trip yesterday. We're, shoot, we're shooting as a day later than we normally do, but we went on a road trip up to Perfect Storm Hardcore Gym okay. in Daytona, Florida, and there was people from five different gyms in one gym working out together, but because it was all those, that many people, by the way, the largest gathering of like international elite lifters at one spot mm-hmm. outside of a meet was pretty awesome. Everybody worked in together. We had a rotation. Yep. We treated it like a meat warm-up room. So everyone was either squatting on one mono or squatting the other mono or benching another bench or deadlifting. But everybody I was, did it together. I was the only one benching yesterday. <laughs> I don't want to leave you fluffed out. <laughs> she the only one benching. Everybody else was squatting and deadlifting. Her coach is mean. Um, you can always squat and deadlift. Uh-huh. <laughs> but it was really, really cool. But it elevated the room because instead of like working out on your own with your headphones in and this is my SSB today, you yep. were working out with so many high-level people. People's people's people correct people still correct. <laughs> you elevated yourself. You know, I ended up having this huge PR pull twice of 815 pounds, which was really cool. But it was because hubba hubba uh, humble brag. <laughs> but it was because of the environment. So we always talk about on on Coach's Corner, the other podcast, how environment can fuel you. So mm-hmm. because of that energy and the infectious, can, you know training environment, everybody elevated up. I think Daniel like accidentally loaded a thousand pounds on his squat, Daniel Tanajero. And I don't think he was even meaning to work up to a thousand pounds. He didn't realize so. it was like a misload. He thought it was like 900, but he was calling numbers and people were loading plates for him and he ended up doing like a thousand pound squat. <laughs> Dan Bell had like 970. So it's pretty nutty and that's what community can do for you. So even though you see that as your problem, it may actually likely be your solution. Could, yeah. And like if you, but you, you're so close off that you only see it as a problem like that. I mean, I, I see this every single day, you know, when someone's talking themselves into having a bad session for no reason other than like it was raining outside or something, you know, like they're like, oh, I had a bad day because I, I couldn't do this or I had a bad day because X, Y, Z. No, you chose to have a bad day just like in spite of all those things happening to you. So like you can have bad things happen during the day or you can have like a little bit of an off day, but how you choose to go about the rest of the day uh, tells your ability to solve a problem. So we have to be less closed off to solutions when they're offered to us. And if it is a solution that maybe isn't actually able, like you're not able to do it, you can still tell that person like, Hey, Thanks for your uh, thanks for your suggestion. This won't work because X Y Z. But if you can't figure out a reason why it won't work, then what's stopping you from trying it? Yeah, except for broccoli. That shit's gross. <laughs> I don't have a problem. I have a solution. I use corn. <laughs> <laughs> or or if he's not eating corn, he just takes like six fiber pills a day. Solutions. Yeah. yeah. Those who focus on the problem have more problems. Those who focus on the solutions have great digestive health. <laughs> Quote me. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, um, well, what's the title of this episode again? 
slouching, nouching the hillipillification. All right. He's getting it. <laughs> that, that's, that's caffeinated because we are highly caffeinated conversation. We are. I have this uh, red line new fusion here, and it's rainbow unicorn, and it's pretty good. This, I think this flavor is actually pretty solid. But it's, See, I went with a cotton candy. That was my mistake. Yeah, rainbow unicorn's good. It's the same maker as a bang. Um, this one has like 300 milligrams of caffeine. It's pretty delicious. Yeah. I'm okay with it. I got a monster. I'm your competition. Mm. You have a problem with that? <clears throat> well, I have more caffeine in mine. Take so. up the flouching, nouching, the hillipillification. Mine has more caffeine. Oh, I'm so good at it now. I will have forgotten how to say that by tomorrow. <laughs> uh, tomorrow is a stretch, like five minutes. He'll forget how to say it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, unless there's anything else you want to add. No, I think that really sums it up. It's super simple. It's, it's always find solutions, listen to solutions, be willing to try mm. alternatives. Don't be so negative and focus, and it really is a mindset thing. Don't be so negative and focus on the problem because then you're only seeing the problem. You aren't open to seeing any available solutions. And so many people will come at you with ideas. And like Riley said, instead of like, no, that won't work, don't shoot something down just because it's more effort or difficult or makes you uncomfortable. That's where you're going to find growth. You're going to find growth in more effort. You're going to find success in things that make you uncomfortable. And you're going to try things for the first time that you may end up liking and keeping and doing. That's how we discover things, you know? I wasn't born to do what I do. Some people will tell you that, but I wasn't born to do what I do. I learned to do what I do through trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, sometimes you just have to step away from the problem itself. Like like I said earlier, sometimes you're just too close to the problem. So you can't find any solutions. So sometimes if you're having a hard time, just take a step back. Try to look at it from an unbiased point of view or ask someone who isn't directly involved. And they can give you like an unbiased point of view as to maybe what something that you're missing. So, um, with the topic of flouching action hill pillification being done, we have, uh, I think like seven questions that we got. So I figured we would go ahead and do that. All right. So the first question that was asked was like, what our nutrition is like for an off season or what you recommend for nutrition for off season. Do you want to take this one? Yeah. I mean, they're really, if you're an athlete, there really never is an off season. Right. There's phases like you're trying to put on size or you're trying to lose weight or whatever. So the actual structure of my meal plan doesn't actually change very much at all except for how meticulously I track. So if I'm getting closer to a meet, I know I have to make my weight class. I will usually track the amount of carbohydrates that's in a meal. My protein stays pretty consistent throughout. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ever really change. But I'll track how many fats I take in. I'll start tracking my carbohydrate levels. So it's a little bit tighter, a little bit closer so I know where I'm at. Because I don't tend to go too far above. Usually, except for the beginning of this year, I don't tend to go too far above. My walk around is usually between 205 and 210. And uh, beginning of this year, I got all the way up to 226 because I'm stress eating because I'm a stress eater. But when it's like my normal structure routine, I will float between 205 and 208 if I'm eating cleanly. And then we have our cheat meal every Sunday, which is our like stuffed crust, seven cheese pizza. It's so it's good. It's the Walmart brand. <laughs> Who knew Walmart had such a good frozen pizza? It's, yeah. a, it's insane. It's That's really pretty good. routine. So, you know, I just start making different choices. Like I will use less condiment sauces and more seasonings for flavor. And then like I will switch to things like corn and stuff like that instead of having rice because it's more bulky and fibrous mm-hmm. as opposed to the you know, the rice being more calorically dense, but not actually a lot of nutrition in there as far as fiber, things are gonna keep me fuller longer. But the structure pretty much stays the same. Uh, if it's what you would consider off season, like I'm not anywhere close to meat, if that's one of those things where we're traveling, or friends wanna go out and go to a restaurant, I'm not gonna worry about tracking or doing yeah. anything. Well, I still track, but I mean, I'm not gonna worry about if I have a hamburger and fries, I'm not gonna freak out about it because mm-hmm. I'm not so close to the meat, it's not that big of a deal. 
So it doesn't really change much. Once you learn how to structure your macros and how your meal should be, you know, you can eat within like a 90% range for that and do pretty good and then get closer to 100% the closer you get to the meat. Yeah, I think people still undervalue protein or like they don't, like tracking is really important. Um, you know, if you're someone who eats the same things every single day, like we generally have the same meals pretty much every single day. The only thing that changes really for me will be like my between meal snacks. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much about it. Um, I'm not cutting for this meat. Um, so I have an abundance of carbs. Thank you, Paul. Um, <laughs> so, and even then, um, my nutrition doesn't change really either. Uh, the only, like right now, since I'm not super, super worried about a cut going to this meat, I'm actually getting more carbs now that we're five weeks out, mm -hmm. um, just because of the intensity of peaking. So I'm getting more carbs. Um, I like to keep fats relatively low because I have the world's smallest stomach um, like my meal sizes, I have to break, like what Trevor could probably eat in three meals would take me six to seven. Like it just, I cannot eat massive meals in one sitting. Um, so I like to break mine up into a lot smaller meals. And then I have snacks that are more focused with like carbs and protein. Uh, but generally I just try to make sure that my protein is the same all the time and my carbs are high. I still always keep most of my carbs pre and post training. And then I like trickle them down smaller through the rest of the meals. So if you're someone who trains later, um, having carbs closer to your later time and post-workout would be more beneficial. I train early. So like my breakfast is a little bit heavier in carbs than it would be normally. Um, but I just think that you should always be eating to fuel and not unless you're I don't recommend cutting, but, um, you know, you can be a little bit more dialed in with your nutrition without being fully restrictive. Like I know a lot of people that do work with Paul right now, like Charlie works with Paul and his girlfriend, Brittany works with Paul and they're both losing weight and they don't have to be super restrictive. So you don't have to be like plain chicken and rice every single meal to lose weight. You just have to know when to be eating those meals. Yeah, this is how I live with teriyaki sauce all the time. <laughs> how much I can take in. And that's key. The word you use there is dialed in. Mm -hmm. You know, understanding how much protein you need to make sure you're hitting your goal. And then you can fluctuate carbs and fats from there by preference. But being dialed into your protein requirements is step one. Yep. Uh, okay, so next question is the best sauce or dressing of all time? This is not arguable in any way, shape, or form. It's teriyaki sauce. But also, a second would be barbecue. 100%. Sweet. Sweet barbecue sauce. Yeah, like a honey barbecue. Don't, don't come at me with that mesquite shit. Get out of here. <laughs> You're wrong. Okay, so next question is, um, touch on the balance between poles and squats in conjugate training. Um, Trevor and I talked about this one briefly when it came up, and the way that this question is phrased is kind of being stuck into one mindset that West Side conjugate is the only form of conjugate that exists. West Side from years past. Yeah. Because I was just talking about this with Seth Albsworth yesterday, who is a multiply lifter who's transitioning over to raw and wants to get back to multiply again. And we were talking about the differences being posterior chain dominant versus anterior chain dominant. So the old West Side philosophy, and I say the old, it's not the current. The old West Side philosophy was that they would only deadlift like maybe once a month or once every eight weeks kind of thing because they were getting so much posterior chain work from the box squats and sitting back, heavy rack pulls and good mornings. Now, uh, around the time that AJ Roberts was coming up and set his all-time world record in multiply, he realized his biggest weakness was his deadlift. So he started deadlifting more frequently. Literally, mm -hmm. he started doing his, de his, his deadlifts every time he squatted, mm -hmm. uh, mostly dynamic just to work on his technique. And he realized, well, the more I deadlift, the better I get at deadlifting. And so that philosophy has changed as of probably about 
eight or seven or eight years ago, people still look back into the 80s and 90s era where bands and chains really got introduced and they, they're stuck in that philosophy. But AJ Roberts like kind of popularized with the multiply lifter that, no, you need to deadlift more frequently actually as the deadlift to get better at deadlifts, yes. the skill itself. And so they've stepped away from that more recently where they're back to deadlifting more frequently than once a month or once every eight weeks. People who actually follow them and are more familiar with their systems know that they deadlift very frequently now. Usually it's like every other week or they'll do the speed week with the squat week in the same way just to get the technique done. Yeah, um, you know, I think this is dependent on the lifter as far as like what your recoverability is from the movements themselves. Like the the stronger that you get, the harder it is going to be to recover from deadlifts. Um, but I know that when I program a lifter for conjugate, I generally they squat and pull twice a week. Um, and this will be, you know, on their main squat day, they'll have a speed pull, and that could either be um, with or without accommodating resistance. It it that doesn't really matter. So if they have a speed pull without accommodating resistance, the goal is to move fast because that should always be your goal is to move fast. So, you know, a squat day will be a main squat, a heavy, like heavier, and then the speed pull. And then on the deadlift day, I will have a speed squat, which once again could be with or without accommodating resistance, the goal being to move fast. And those speed pulls or those speed squats are going to be lighter percentages because it's not going to break you down as much as it would be if you were, you know, 75 plus percent up. So, um, you know, this can change too. Like some lifters will only, will have two squats per week, one being a speed and one being uh, heavy and only one deadlift or vice versa. It really kind of depends on the lifter for that. But I noticed that with intermediate or beginning lifter or beginner lifters, um, frequency is king in this situation. Like the more that you do it, the better you get at a skill. The more you train a skill, the better you get at that skill. So even if it is lighter weight, um, fast work, like technique work, which everything is technique work. Um, even if it is that like the frequency, you should still be aiming to move everything fast. You shouldn't, you know, load up 90% and be like, I'm going to move this really slow. You should. <laughs> you Let's call for eccentric tempo work. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you know, so you shouldn't slow down just because it's a higher percentage. Um, but I think that, like, to answer this question, you should probably understand how you recover from squats and pulls. If you know that deadlifts just absolutely torch you all the time, um, then you know maybe one heavy per week, and then maybe toggle it every other week with like a speed pull on your squat day. Um, or if you know that squats like really, really mess you up, maybe keeping them in only as one main heavy, very one main heavy squat. And then maybe a variation like a front squat or something else. So it really depends on what you can handle specifically. Yeah. Uh, the next question kind of touches on today's topic actually is what do you notice the majority of lifters struggle with or excel at? And the big struggle is if they have one bad session or one interruption to their program for any means, they go through the flouching out to hill of qualifications. You like that? <laughs> nice. No, you like that. Yeah. Uh, anyways, that's the reason what they, str- they struggle with is, you know, they'll have one bad session or one thing doesn't go, and that's all they can fixate and focus yes. on is the, the problem, which really isn't a problem in the long run. You know, if you train four or five days a week and you have one bad lift or one bad session, in the totality of that entire block, which is probably somewhere between four or six weeks, or even in that entire training cycle, that's a really small percentage of it. Yeah. You know, that's like less than two or three percent of it in the, in the long grand scheme of things, so it's not that big, big of a deal. Even per week, that's still only 20%. If that, <laughs> if because you usually it's five, one yeah. lift or one problem, not right. the entire session. Right. Um, and we, we love to live in misery. Like, you know, people will, will post that like, oh, I... I I was up all night and my, you know, I worked 10 hours and I only had two meals. I, I can't believe I was able to get this even though it was shitty. It's like, 
dude, you're supposed to get it. That's why it's written on your program. <laughs> right. Stop, stop preluding everything with a bunch of excuses as to why it moves slower than you wanted to. You're tired, you're fatigued, but you know what? The actual thing that matters is you did move it. Also, we're all tired and fatigued, <laughs> you know, like we all have, we all have uh, heavy blocks. We all peak. We all do all these things. All of us are tired and fatigued. If we weren't tired and fatigued all the time, there'd be no need for deload. Right. None of us would be lifting heavy. So like just You'd those be caught are up on your favorite show on Netflix on the couch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, when there's, when there's like a million excuses before, um, before in someone's caption before listing their weight, I just know that they don't control what they can. And like, I think that that's probably what I see the most of is that lifters struggle with controlling their controllables. Um, and they, that in confidence, but that's its own, um, topic in itself. But you know, if you're someone, if you, if your work schedule is the same every single week, but yet every single week you're struggling to get your sessions in, or you're struggling to get your food in, you're not too busy to do these things. You you're a just, time management issue. yes, yeah. you're just unwilling to figure out how to fit it all into your day. There was a point in time where I was working, um, 45 to 50 hours a week as a store manager. I was coaching 25 lifters, um, and I was doing my own training. And then I was also podcasting with ritual and I was working with ritual and doing all of these things. And I got everything done and I was still lifting well. And I didn't go into every training session being like, damn, I worked eight hours today. Like a normal human being, I'm going to struggle really hard with this session. You know, like you can't, you can't make excuses for yourself before they're even a problem. Like that's another issue too. So yeah, man. So So good at it now. (laughs) Practice that skill once a week. I'm going to say it. (laughs) So I just stop telling yourself that you're going to have a bad day because you worked eight hours. You're an adult. You should be working eight hours. So, you know, um, control what you can. If you have a hard time fitting that into your schedule, then you need to work on your time management as well. Um, tips or tricks for getting the most out of your garage gym with limited equipment. Functionality. It's the same as when I owned a training studio. Every piece I looked at, I had to decide what was the functionality of it. If it had only one use, it probably wasn't the best piece of equipment for me to put in the studio because we had limited space. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we're looking at is getting a good rack, a quality bar, and enough plates to lift whatever you possibly need. And then adding on top of that would be probably bands and, mm-hmm. and things that you can use which are very versatile because bands can be used for face pulls, push downs, rows, pull yep. aparts, adding resistance to movements and so forth, warm ups, stretching, whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're starting with the rack, you're starting with the bar. And then from there you start looking at other pieces, you know, an adjustable bench as opposed to just a flat bench. Maybe you're looking at a second cage or a second rack that you can add other attachments to like a dip stand or that has different pull up attachments or that you can add like a uh, sus- suspension training system to like blast straps or TRX because that gives you even more variety of exercises to do. You know, having something like wooden rings or TRX attached to a, a rack that's tall enough gives you the option to do a lot of core work, a lot of ab work, a lot of row work, a lot of press work, uh, leg curls, um, assisting you in stretching. So that's your your true thing is maximizing the as much versatility out of every piece of equipment you have. And another cool feature is something like a landmine attachment. They're anywhere between $20 to $40 on Amazon. You stick them in some place in the corner and you can all of a sudden rotate, single arm press. That becomes your one arm row. That becomes additional core work. You know, that becomes loading for single leg work or TROs or, you know, prison ROs, you know, you're looking at the versatility of each piece, having something that does one thing only, um, like 
say for existence, a tibialis raised machine is going to eat up a lot of space and have very little function for you. You have one use. <laughs> exactly, you have one use. So you're looking for things that have multi-use. Like a glute ham raise is going to give you more uses than a reverse hyper. So a glute ham raise, you're going to be able to do back extensions, glute ham raises, ab work off of, uh, core work as far as side planks. You can row off of there. You can have a tremendous amount and it's adjustable as far as the back pad. Unless so you, you need a good table, then you can use a reverse yeah, hyper. Yeah, if, if you need a good gym table, then you get a reverse hyper. Yeah. You know, reverse hyper is less versatile. Not that you can't do a few things on a reverse hyper, yeah. but it's going to occupy a lot more space and have very, very limited use. So you're looking at that aspect more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, with, once again, writing mostly conjugate programming, when lifters are lifting in their basement or trying to build their garage gym, they immediately ask me what specialty bars they can buy. And, like, specialty bars do have very little use to them. Like, the most versatile um, use used bars would be like the SSB and the Buffalo bar. Um, you know, like with the SSB, you obviously can squat with it. You can JM press with it, which I if love. If you have the Elite SES one, yeah. the Titan, the handles come out. Only if the handles come out. Otherwise, you're going to hate you. Yep. Um, like a Buffalo bar, you can squat and bench with. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I understand that if you're in a conjugate style programming or you like variation bars, that you are concerned with the different types of bars that you have but also you can sub out a lot of these things that you want for just a regular power bar until you have the means necessary yeah. to buy specialty things like an ssb is really like a high bar you know yep. um I, so if i'm going for a higher career bars because a lot of us i mean i have a lot of bars i was if you see the yeah. pictures of the garage but i would go with a quality power bar first and yep. buy nice and you'll be buying twice bars bend easy if you don't get a good bar get yourself a good bar so a quality power bar like the road power bar or the texas power bar would be my top two choices from there and then your secondary choice for a specialty bar would probably be the Titan or the Elite FDS SSB because it has more uses. Yep. That would be even before you got something like a deadlift bar because a deadlift bar has one function, yep. deadlifts only, and yep. that's it. So you can get away with a stiff bar on there. And then, like as Riley says, you add over time as you can afford it. So you go from power bar to SSB to deadlift bar kind of thing. Yep. Um, okay. Next question is, how do you help each other grow? I call her names and taunt her and tease her until she feels absolutely helpless. And then I come in for the save. No? <laughs> <laughs> so, sure. I, I, yeah, I feel like we have to answer that about each other. Um, Trevor helps me grow because he kind of doesn't let me have an excuse or kind of um, reminds me of the things that I'm capable of. I tend to get that imposter type syndrome. Um, so sometimes getting the... Uh, reaffirmation of like, Hey, you've done this, you've done these things. Well, you are flourishing, you X, Y, Z, all these things. You should probably stop doubting yourself, uh, is mostly what I need. And if I do make an excuse, he'll generally like call me out on why that excuse is, uh, null and void. And that is very helpful for me. So he basically doesn't let me, uh, chicken out i am her bullshit detector yeah <laughs> that's exactly that's bullshit right. that's exactly right uh yeah so he doesn't he just doesn't let me have excuses for myself which i think is important because i will find an excuse as to why i can't do something if i'm feeling unsure about it instead of instead of trusting myself that i know how to do something or that i can do something i'll find an excuse because i get a little scared and uh trevor's like stop being a scared little bitch <laughs> And in turn, Riley supports my crazy. I'm wildly ambitious and I want to do more than I think most people is humanly possible. And I just know that I'm capable. So she's constantly helping me out in other ways and encouraging me to be just as crazy and is a, a great manager of my ideas because I will shout something out 
because I get a lot of ideas or a lot of creativity and she's nice enough to write them down and remind me of them and make sure I stay on top of them and do them and not go from, because I, we all do have like that small, I don't want to call it ADD, but we do have a short attention span yeah. where I jump from idea to idea to idea and she reminds me, hey, you haven't completed this yet. You need to do that or you still wanted to work on this. So I am, I guess I would always say I'm not creative and she's like, that's bullshit. You're very creative. But I wasn't very good at managing my creativity and she's much better at managing that aspect for me and making sure I stay on top of it and helping me organize it and structuring it so I can actually bring it forward and make it happen. So there's a lot of like crazy projects that scare the absolute shit out of me that I know I would not be able to get done without somebody who takes the time to manage my wild ideas. So that's yeah. kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, I like, I like crazy, which is why I, I, I'm with you. Well, hello. <laughs> How you doing? Makes sense, huh? All right. <laughs> I don't have a very good Jack Nicholson impersonation, but if I did, that's the face I'm doing right now. <laughs> One just flew over the cuckoo's nest. <laughs> All right. And last question of the day is, this is from Becky. It was pretty long, but I just tried to shorten the question uh, to like the meat and potatoes of it, which is what was the road leading to both of your individual success where you're at currently? Um, and I feel like for me personally, there's a lot of roads and a lot of them had dead ends and a lot of them... Um, were not the right ones, but they eventually all led back to where I'm at now. Um, I've made a lot of mistakes growing up and just being, you know, a little shithead, you know, like most people are, um, had a lot of problems not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, not a lot of support either. Like if you've listened to anything that I've talked about, I had, did not grow up with a lot of like a good support system. Um, so me being able to trust myself and knowing that I can make whatever work uh, work is really, really beneficial for me. And I've generally not been super scared of taking that risk. Um, sometimes I am now, which is where Trevor is really helpful. Like I said, because he doesn't let me be scared. And like, I've made a lot of really, really scary decisions on my own. Um, even, you know, a couple years ago that most people would never think about doing because it was what was necessary in order to get me to where I'm at now. So uh, generally, I've always been not afraid to take that risk. And if I give myself a safety net, and I think this is something we're going to talk about eventually mm -hmm. on the podcast, if I give myself a safety net, I will 10 out of 10 use that safety net every single time. So I have always not used a safety net, uh, which like forces me to work harder for whatever goal I'm trying to achieve. And, you know, that's kind of where, how I've gotten here. Like, I know that's not super, super specific or anything, but um, basically I've had to learn how to trust myself, learn how to stop giving myself excuses, uh, not using a safety net and just going for it. Like whatever, whatever goal I have, just go for it instead of, I, I have to think less and do more, basically. Uh, this is something I can take down some of your different paths. So the road leading to individual success. Um, first, I'm too... I'm too crazy to admit that I shouldn't be doing the things I do. Like I always joke that and I've talked about it all. My high school counselor told me that nobody was ever going to pay me to work out. And I always <laughs> like to tell him that he was wrong. And I make like three times what he makes now, which is really cool. But, uh, it really was about how many people can I reach? How many people can I help? Because when I was younger, there was no one there supervising me and no one there guiding me and absolutely no one there helping me. So it was a huge journey of self discovery. And the more, outside of the circle that I felt, the more I realized there's a lot more people outside of the circle than there's actually people in the circle. So I've never been part of the clique or part of the cool kids or whatever, which is kind of awesome because I blazed my own path. 
And uh, a lot of people noticed, like, like I was called the Forrest Gump syndrome. He was just running. So people followed him because he was running because they thought he knew more than they did. And he had a direction. He was going somewhere. So it gave them purpose. Lifting always gave me purpose. And I tend to just go in my own direction when I'm lifting and, and try to help as many people lift in a way that they love. And it just created people who are along for the same journey. So my success was to just do exactly what I want and not listen to people who told me I couldn't achieve this and couldn't do things. I just kept trying and kept going. And everything along the way is figure outable. I know that's not really a word, but it's it is true. now. It is now. Figure out it's right up there with flouching, nouching, the hill of pillification. Yeah? I think you. I think you messed that one up a little <laughs> bit, but it's okay. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you know I, I wasn't going to be told I couldn't do what I want. I was never been the guy who can sit there from eight to five in an office and wear a tie. And most days I sit here in my underwear doing things for like several years. I was literally putting content up online just in my underwear. It's kind of like that old marketing ad, work from home in your underwear. I found a way to do that. <laughs> um, but it was, I just kept trying and I just kept offering people solutions. I didn't ever focus on problems. I focused on solutions for everybody and everything. And I recorded that journey along the process. And so many people are like, this guy really wants to help people be better. I'm going to pay attention to what he has to say and come along. And then sometimes people want more individual help so they can go on a faster process. And they hire me to help them on an individual basis. So my, my success is being too stubborn to admit that I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing for a living mm-hmm. and actually finding a way to make a living out of it by offering so much value people are willing to come around for. Yeah. So basically from both of us, the, the trick to being successful is to believe in yourself. Be stubborn enough not to quit. Yeah. Stubbornness is definitely something that is uh, very prevalent in this household, mostly from Trevor because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not at all stubborn. Not at all. Slightly sassy. Not at all stubborn. <laughs> no, I mean, if you look at anyone who's successful, they have failed in a mountain of times, um, but they just kept climbing the mountain. Yep. You know, you're going to fail so many times along a journey, and that's okay because every failed opportunity is a learning opportunity. You're not going to find one person who rocketed to an overnight success. It doesn't exist. Just because you just heard about them doesn't mean that they were overnight success. Yes. You know, you got to remember that I've been training and coaching people since November of 2001. And here we are in about to be 2021, you know, we're getting closer and closer to that. So that's 20 years of doing this and I'm only now getting recognized and known for it now, 20 years later. Yeah. So if you want, uh, if you're not willing to work for 20 years, obviously that won't always be the case, but if you're not willing to work 20 years for your goal, then you probably don't want it as bad as you think. That's right. If you're not willing to put in 20 years of work for your goal, that's not your real goal. Yep. Um, so yeah, that's all the questions. That's that a powerful we... end right there. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all the questions that we had. That's all the uh, flouching out in a hill pillification talk that we could handle. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. yeah. Um, Focus on solutions. Yep. Don't ignore the problem, but identify your solutions. Recruit people to take an outside perspective. Most of all, just take a breath. You don't have a real problem. You know, if your life's not ending, you don't have a real problem. And everything is figure outable. That's right. Uh, so we will see you guys on episode five. Yeah. Yep. And I'll be introducing that one. So it'll be fun. And Trevor will probably try to torture me with however we're introducing that one. But yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> we will talk to you guys next week. Have a go.